0: Well, good morning and welcome uh, live here this morning to our service. It is wonderful to have you again. My voice will end up catching up with my actions, I'm sure. Hopefully it's fixed, but it probably isn't, uh, knowing our technology. But it was just so wonderful to take that time to pray together. That's what we're saying in our memory verses for this year. Pray without ceasing, a lifestyle of prayer. So we felt it was important to have a time of prayer this morning in our service together that we could lift up our prayers, our thoughts, our anxieties, all those things to our Savior. And later, after this um After this sermon, uh, we have something uh, special for the kids uh, this morning, and we're going to be rolling that out in the next few weeks, and and so kids, you can uh, stay tuned for that. We have that for you. It should be good, I hope, uh, for you to enjoy and have this time together. I want you to take your Bibles right now and open them up to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we are talking about a difficult thing, a difficult topic in many ways over these next couple of weeks, and it is the topic of submission, to submit. It is something that we don't like to do. It is something that we uh, feel... Um, Fear about doing in some ways that we would have to submit to any authority. We like our independence. We like our autonomy. And yet the scripture calls us clearly to submit to authorities that God has put in place over our lives. Or in these verses it will say, call us to be subject to. Now last week we had somewhat of a controversial passage in some ways talking about submitting to the government and and what that would look like being subject to the government and how would we play that out in our lives. But now I think this morning is somewhat maybe even more controversial of a topic submitting in relation to masters and slaves, masters and servants. So what I want to do is read some of this section. I'm not going to read all of it um, right now, but I just want to read some of this section. And as I read it, I'm going to ask a couple of questions at the very beginning. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 18 to 20 for now. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, Now, when we read this passage about servants and masters, about slaves and masters, when we read this passage, two questions often come to our minds. We're kind of confused when we see a passage like this in Scripture, and so I want to deal with two questions first. Is this right, and is this relevant? what I've just read to you about servants and masters, about slaves and masters, you have got to ask first and foremost, is this right and is this relevant? As we talk this morning about the suffering servant, we ask first, is this right? Because many people would look on at this passage. Many of People who are not Christians, and maybe some of you are tuned in this morning, and, and when you look at this passage, what you're going to say is, is see, I knew it. The Bible. The Bible is, is talking about slavery. Here it is. The Bible is this ancient, archaic text, and here it is. The Bible is advocating for slavery. Many famous atheists have taken these passages to speak against the goodness of God. And there are many passages that talk about slaves and masters, even in the New Testament. And many have taken these passages to speak against the goodness of God. And so your friend might ask you, well, look, see, here it says in the Bible, servants and masters. And you might panic and you might say, well, it, it just says Servants. Well, no, it it doesn't just say servants. They've translated it as servants, but the word is doulos, which could equally and probably rightly be translated as slaves. So what do we do with this? Is this right for us even to be talking about this? Should we not be questioning the Bible at this point? Well, there's a few things that we need to think about in relation to slavery in the New Testament time. In the New Testament time, when we ask the question, is this right? We need to recognize that slavery or servanthood, whatever you want to call it, it was different. It was different. Often when we think of slavery, you might think of maybe modern day slavery or or slavery in, in more recent times, maybe in American history or whatever it is. We often think of slavery in that category. Well, slavery was very different in the, in the ancient Greco-Roman world. Very, very different. In fact, slaves in that, in that time may have been better educated than their masters. Some slaves in that time were doctors and managers and maybe even teachers. Yes, some were oppressed, but some and many were treated well. It was actually part of the social construct of their society in the Greco-Roman world. So it was different than any slavery we might think of. It was also seen as quite normal. It was how society functioned and was structured. And so often what you would have, maybe if one of those doctors or teachers or managers found themselves in debt, one of the ways you would get out of debt in the Greco-Roman ancient world, one of the ways you would get out of that debt is you might sell yourself into slavery to get out of the debt. And then any in your family would then become slaves too or servants too. And that was a common way to get out of debt. And so it was seen in many ways and in many senses as normal practice and was a way in which that society functioned. Now, some New Testament scholars, they they go too far with this and they kind of sanitize slavery in that day. But what we need to recognize is that while it was different and while it was normal, it still was wrong. It is wrong for anybody to own anybody else. And to have the concept in in New Testament times that all slaves were treated well, that's wrong too. Many were treated well, but many were treated poorly. And so we still recognize that it was wrong. So then you've got to ask the question, well, why does Peter mention it? How can we say it's wrong when it's seemingly here in this text that he's saying it is right? What you need to remember, what Peter is doing is he's not condemning it and he's not condoning it. What he is doing is he's regulating it. Let me say that again. He's not condemning it. He's not condoning it. He is regulating it. He's he's telling these small churches in Asia Minor, here is how you have to live in this social construct that you find yourselves in. It it, it would be no good for Peter to say to this small church, oh, this corrupt system that you're in is wrong. You need to revolt and get out of it. It would not have worked. It wasn't going to be, at that time, realistic for that to be the case. What they needed to know is not how to revolt against the system. What they needed to know is how are they going to live in the system that they find themselves in. So yes, it is wrong. Yes it is different it was normal but what Peter is trying to do practically is here is how you are going to live and then we have to ask the question then well is it relevant If it was different, and if it was normal then, it's certainly not normal now. This type of slavery that they had then, it's not normal now. So then you ask the question, well, what's the point of us even reading this passage? Is it relevant for our lives? Can we take it and and apply it to our lives in any way? Because it's talking about slaves and masters. It's not talking about any social construct that we have in society today. So can we apply it? And I would say yes. I would say yes, because all scripture is useful. It is God breathed. It is there for our benefit. So how would we benefit from this? Well, I believe if you strip things back from just the title of slave and master, You can realize that in our society, we do have certain social constructs that are very different from that. But we have social constructs that have an authority figure over us who we should submit to. Take, for example, the the professor in college and the student. That is a social construct for education. The the professor would give instructions and the students should submit and follow those instructions. If they don't, society and education in society will crumble. And then, of course, you've got the employer and the employee, the boss and the employee. And in that social construct, someone has to give instructions. Someone has to submit to those instructions. And if they don't, the workforce in society will crumble. And then, of course, you've got the governmental structures when you when you see about uh, the guards and the police and they will give instructions. And we, of course, have to submit. And if we don't do that, then society will crumble. And so in that way, we can take an underlying principle from this passage and apply it to our lives. And what is that underlying principle? Here it is from the verses that I have read to you. The underlying principle is this. We are called to submit even when it is difficult. We are called to submit even when it is difficult. I want to give you a scenario this morning that I think is going to run through what I say. And when I when I give you scenarios, I realize that scenarios are very difficult because when I mention a scenario, everybody says, well, you know, what if, you know, lightning was to strike? And what if, you know, like an elephant was to walk into the room and all these ridiculous things you can apply to a scenario and make it different and change it up. But I just give the scenarios in order to help you I know there are about a million different ways you could think about it and about a million different angles you could think about it from. But I just want to help us this morning as we think through this text and apply the principle of submitting even when it is difficult. So I want you to imagine this morning that you have a difficult boss, a difficult employer over you. And so you wake up in the morning, tomorrow morning, and you wake up and you go to your makeshift desk that you set up in your living room because you can't go to work because of COVID. And you go to your makeshift desk and you open up your emails and your boss, your employer, has sent you an email requesting that you do a report that is part of your job. They're requesting that you do a report that is part of your job. Now, that boss... Imagine for a second that boss has treated you unfairly, spoken unkindly to you, spoken badly about your work, has been unjust in many ways and disrespectful in many ways. Yet they send you an email on Monday morning that requests you to do a work report that is part of your job. What are you to do? This text, I think, would tell you that you are to submit and do your job. Look at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. What is he saying to servants and masters? He's saying, do submit to the good and gentle, but also submit to the unjust. Also submit to those who are, in other words you could use, unreasonable. And so in this boss scenario, what you could say is we're still called to submit to the gentle and the good, but also to the unjust and the unreasonable. We're still called to do our job in those situations. And what Peter is saying is something that's quite radical. What Peter is saying here. To them and to us is that character in that case does not count. The character of your boss or employer does not count. What counts is what you do. What counts is how you do your job well. You are called to submit. And as a Christian, you are called to do your job with utmost excellence. No matter what the character of your employer is. Now, we'll deal with some of the questions I'm sure you have rolling in your mind right now. But but this is ultimately what we are called to, to do. Submit in those cases. And again, when you think of submitting to someone who is unjust, unreasonable, unfair, has treated you badly, the question comes into your mind, just like it did with government. Why? Why should I do that? Why should I put up with that and still do the job anyway? And the answer is twofold, the same as last week. Number one, it is our witness. When you think of the theme verse that speaks over all these submission passages, you think of the fact that this is our witness. The theme verse is chapter 2, verse 12. Remember what it says. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So you may have a boss that speaks against you, That speaks badly of you. But the goal in your work and in your job and in that scenario is to do your job with excellence so that they might see your good works and glorify God. You speak back to them, not with your words, but with the excellence of your practice. You do good. So that people might see your good works and glorify God. And this is the case in any job and all jobs that we have. It is part of our witness to do those jobs well. Even for mothers this morning. You have a job with your children. And you may not have a boss in your job, an unreasonable boss in your job. But we all know that you probably have unreasonable children around you. And you see, when you go out to the outside world... People are looking for the Savior. May it be that people will see your good deeds and glorify God. May it be that those unreasonable and difficult children during this midterm might see your good deeds and glorify God. Mothers, you are called to make disciples in your job, and there is no greater calling than you have than those little children in front of you. We are called to do our jobs with excellence, for it is part of our witness. But we see in this text that it is also part of God's will for our lives that we would submit in this way and in this kind of scenario. We see that in verse 19. For this is the reason why we're to do it, even to an unjust employer. For This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And so we look at that and we see this is actually part of God's will for your life. This is a gracious thing to obey even when someone is unjust to you. To do your job even when someone is unreasonable to you. This glorifies God. Why? What are you doing when you're given that respect, when you're when you're when you're doing that job on on Monday morning, when you're answering that report and you don't want to because the character of your boss are you mindful of? You are mindful in that moment of God and not of anybody else. That's what the scripture says. Being mindful of God. So we're doing it because it is his will. I also want you to to note a little hint in the text, and that's in verse 18. It says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. And that word respect there, some take it as this is respect towards the masters. But we need to know that that word respect can and rightly can be translated as fear. And in 1 Peter, fear is used and spoken of five different times. And every time it is used, it is spoken of someone living in the fear and in the awe of God. In fact, it said in verse 17, the very first verse before verse 18, it uses that phrase, fear God. And so I believe when it is calling us to submit in this way, with all respect, it is actually all respect for God. Being mindful of God, living in awe of God. This is why we do our jobs well and with excellence, even when our boss is difficult. Now, let me give you another scenario. Again, there's loads of different ones that can pop into your head. Not only should we submit, I think, when our boss is difficult, but we should submit when our job is difficult. When our job is hard. So, so, so take this scenario again. You, you wake up on Monday morning and you get this email, this re- that you have to, this report that's due. And it's not only from a boss who is unjust and unreasonable and difficult and hard and all those things, but you're getting it in a job that is difficult. In a job where you are underpaid, overworked, and underappreciated. So now you've got those two factors, those two difficulties. Not only have I got a a job, a boss who's difficult, but I've got a job that's difficult. Now what do you do with that report? Well, you submit. And you do your job with excellence. This is what the Christian is called to do. And we can get that underlying principle, I think, from verses eighteen and or verses nineteen and twenty. It says this for this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. When your job is difficult, yes, it may not be like the suffering of the slave back in the ancient world, in the Greco Roman world and context, but your suffering in your job might be real to you and in your circumstance. So what do you do? You submit anyway, even when the situation is difficult. And then he argues for it. Verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. You are working being mindful of God. You are working with all respect toward God. And you are working in the sight of God. Therefore, you do your job with excellence, no matter how difficult your boss is or how difficult your job is. Now, let me bring something up. You have an option in your job that is unique. And your option is this. You could quit. You could quit. If your boss is too difficult, if your job is too difficult, you could quit. And that is a real option. And maybe, maybe that is the most wise and prudent option in your situation. What I think blows me away about these verses that Peter is writing, and it should cause us to pause for a second, is that Peter is writing to slaves that cannot Quit. They cannot report any incidences to HR. Many of these bosses who, many of these slaves who are experiencing difficulty were just seen as things and objects. They couldn't complain, they couldn't quit. If they ran away, they were in fear of beating, murder, and jail. I mean, they didn't have the options that we had, and yet. Yet, Peter is saying to them, for God's will and for the purpose of your witness, continue to do good in suffering and in this situation and in your job, even though it is difficult. Submit. That is an amazingly high standard for the Christian, and yet it is what we are called to. So... You may decide, and you can, and it might be prudent, and it might be wise to quit your job because of your, your difficult boss and your difficult job. But if you choose not to quit, as long as you are in that job, no matter how difficult the boss and no matter how difficult the job, I think it is clear from this text and the underlying principle therein that you would still submit knowing I'm doing this in the sight of God, not of men. That's what I think we're called to do as workers in this society, as good citizens in this society. Oh, that people might see our good works and glorify God. Oh, that the difficult boss might see our good works and be caused to repentance. Oh, that those we work with who are difficult and hard that they might see how we knuckle down on Monday morning and glorify God. But let me bring to you another scenario, I think, here. And the other scenario is this same thing. You wake up on Monday morning, you get the email from the difficult boss. The difficult job and you're called to do this report, except this time in this report, you're called to fudge the numbers. You're called to lie. What do you do? Do you submit? And this brings us back to the question that we will ask throughout this kind of section in 1 Peter The question is, are we called to unquestioning submission? And I don't believe so. And here is why. At the end of verse 20, it says, If when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Everything that we are doing is in the sight of God. And so we remember, even with the verses last week, that we are doing everything for the Lord's sake. We are doing everything as servants of the Lord. We are doing everything in fear of the Lord. We are doing everything with all respect to the Lord. We are doing everything being mindful of the Lord. And we are doing everything in the sight of the Lord. And if that is the case, therefore we are asked to perform ethically for the Lord in our workplace and therefore in this scenario you may not choose to but you can and you should say no and that might be difficult but all our work is done in the sight of God and so those are the various nuances and there's more and more angles that we can look at this with but As we think of our our difficult boss and our difficult jobs and our difficult situations, here is kind of some principles by which we can navigate it, knowing that as Christians we are still called to submit even when it is difficult. Now I'd imagine, and I know For many of us watching in this morning, especially um, those in our group and in our um, congregation, many of us actually, I don't know if you've realized this, but many of us have have very stressful jobs, very difficult jobs, where many of us are, you know, shift work, early mornings, late nights, long hours, difficult uh, scenarios and situations ourselves. And so you can probably think of way more than just three that I bring before you tonight. Well, what do I do here and what do I do there? And and you're praying all the time, asking God for wisdom. How do I do this job with excellence? How do I do it ethically and how do I do it well in the sight of God? But you might be thinking. All of what you've said, Shane, is just totally unrealistic in my situation. You don't get it. And you're probably right. I do not get it. And maybe this morning you feel like you are a suffering servant and there is no way out. What should you do? And here is the thing we should do. As suffering servants in this world. You should not look to me for the answers. You should look to our great and glorious suffering servant. The one who came to this world. The one who was beaten and spat at, The one who bore our sins on the tree. Our suffering servant. Despised and rejected. We esteemed him not, yet he was stricken, bruised, crushed for our iniquities. If you feel this morning like a neglected, overworked, suffering servant, you need only look to the suffering servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is what I think Peter calls us to this morning. Look to Christ, the suffering servant, first as our example. When you are suffering, when you're going through these difficult situations in your job or in your workplace or whatever, I guarantee you, you have asked someone, what do I do? Will you pray for me? What am I supposed to do? And you're looking for someone to give you advice. You're looking for someone to be your example. Well, first and foremost, you have an example in who the Lord Jesus Christ And that's what Peter says to us in this text, verse 21.
1: For to this
0: you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not return, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What is Peter saying there? You have an example. Jesus Christ. And oh, this morning, I won't go through these verses in as much detail as I would love to do and as I have in the weeks past. But I just want you to see the practical nature of the gospel. That Jesus' death on the cross actually makes a difference to how you are going to do your job tomorrow morning. He is our example he is the captain of our salvation, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so we look unto him when we do our jobs. And I love that language that he, he uses in verse 21 we follow in his footsteps, don't we? We follow in his footsteps. It is amazing when you have children and you see those children doing the very same things that, that you do. Getting angry at what you get angry. Doing good in the ways you are doing good. Speaking, using your words and your languages. What are the children doing? They're following in your footsteps. That is what we as Christians are meant to do. We are called to suffer well. And how do we do that? We follow in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When he was reviled. In other words, when he was insulted, what did he do? He did not insult back. When he suffered, did he threaten? No, he did not threaten back. He suffered in silence. And so should we. Not threaten back. Not pull back. Not push back. But see our example in Jesus. And you say that's unjust, that's not right. Well, look at Jesus. He never sinned. And no deceit in his mouth. And yet he was crucified. The greatest injustice that this planet ever seen was experienced by our suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Look to him. And how was he able to do all this? The end of verse 23 says this, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. That's how he did it. When he was getting insulted, when he was getting persecuted, he said these things. Justice doesn't belong to me. Justice is going to belong to God in the end. In his humanity, he was saying this. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And that's what we're called to do. When we experience this injustice in the social constructs of this world, ultimately we will trust in God to bring about his justice. And it's hard for us to imagine this, because sometimes we think that justice will never happen if justice doesn't happen in this world. If justice doesn't happen in this world, we, we we neglect to think that it's going to happen in the world to come. And so we think we must exact justice now. Well, no, that is not the case. And I know it is frustrating to wait for justice. I experienced some of that thought of frustration even this week. This week, as I read the account or the the, the news reports of Rabbi Zacharias, many of you would know him. Some of you would not know him. Some of you may not even know the story. But but Rabbi Zacharias was this great Christian apologist. What I mean by that is he was a defender of the faith. He spoke against all. He spoke into all very complicated ethical situations and was able to speak in a way that was just so good and admirable before many of the world's elites. He was invited to Oxford and Cambridge and Princeton and all universities and and, and places of, of prestige around the world in order to speak for Christ. And he did it well. And in May 2020, he died of of, of spine cancer, a unique uh, spine cancer that he died of. And everybody at his funeral and afterwards said, oh, what a great man this man is. And then the reports started coming out. That this man, a famous apologist, a famous Christian defender between secular people and Christian people, he was a man of notoriety. It came back that this great man and gifted speaker was living two lives. On the one hand, he was defending the faith. And on the other hand, I won't go into detail, he was abusing women. And it has clearly come out And it is devastating for his family. It is devastating for the ministry that he set up. Many will lose their jobs and there is great ramifications for this. But when you look at the situation and as I was thinking and praying about it, I, I kind of firstly thought and wrongly so. Where is the justice in that? Because you could look at his life and say, well, he got away with it. This only came out after his death. Where is the justice in that? But we as Christians are reminded from this text that we entrust justice to God. That ultimately, justice will be served in that situation. And we can trust the judge who will judge rightly at the end of the day, even if justice isn't experienced in this world. And so in your situation in life, if you are experiencing just, injustice, let me tell you this. You may not experience justice in this world. But what we are called to do as Christians is entrust ourselves to the one who judges justly. Look to the example of our suffering servant and follow in his footsteps. But you know what? It is not good enough just to say that Jesus Christ is our example as the suffering servant. No, he is much more than an example. He is our substitute. He suffered for our sins. So that when we are failing suffering servants, when we fail to do our jobs To obey government, to do these things, to submit with excellence, to try and extract and seek our own justice. When we fail to suffer well, what do we look to? The one who suffered well for us. And that's what Peter says in verse 24. Let me finish with this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. When you wake up tomorrow morning and go back to that job that you hate and that boss that is so difficult, Remember the one who bore your sins. You see how practical the cross is. That when you fail in your submission, you come to him and he forgives you. He he bears all your sins on the tree. He suffered the curse for you. He died for you that you might now die to your sin and suffer well and live in righteousness. While we can quit our jobs, he is talking to slaves who can't quit theirs. And so what he is saying to them is, look to the tree, look to Calvary, look to him who will bear your sins. Because by his wounds, you, my friends, have been healed. He suffered for you. that you might suffer well. And then Peter closes by saying this. Remember, you have a shepherd who cares for you and oversees your soul. So even as you suffer, you're his sheep and your shepherd will care for you. Brothers and sisters, let us be those suffering servants who suffer well, looking to Christ Jesus the suffering servant. Let us close this time and sing His Mercy is More and then we will have a special time after that for you. Let's sing His Mercy is More.